Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that my next six-month leadership programme will start in January 2024. If you would like to be part of this transformational experience, you can find all the information you need on the Dive Deep Climb High website. As the previous delegate said, this course is a must for anyone invested in being the best leader they can be. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the challenges of developing large and diverse teams. My guest has spent over 25 years working in the NHS. And whilst her career started out on the clinical side, she then made the transition to learning and development. She is currently Head of Learning and Organisational Development at the Royal Surrey NHS Foundation Trust. It's a massive role, so I'm very grateful that she's taken time out of her busy schedule to chat with me today. My guest has achieved so much in incredibly difficult circumstances. I just know this is going to be a fascinating conversation you're not going to want to miss. So let's get started and welcome the awesome Nicola Arnold. Hi, Nicola. Oh, thank you, ma'am. That was lovely. <laughs> what an introduction. You are very welcome. I'm so excited. It's taken us quite a while to get to this point of having this conversation. So I'm going to make the absolute most of it and, and sort of drag out everything that's in your brain and everything that you've achieved, because I know you've done so, so much. But perhaps the best place to start would be for you to share a little bit about your career and also that transition you made from the clinical side into learning and development. Okay, well, firstly, thank you so much. So I'm really excited to be part of this conversation. So thank you, Mel. So a little bit about me and my career. I joined the NHS age 17, so I was a bit of a baby. Um, and I'd known for a very long time that I wanted to focus my career on pharmacy. It was something that was very important to me. At the time, my grades weren't strong enough to get me to university to study the, the career of a pharmacist. And so I took the alternative route to train as a pharmacy technician, which is a two-year apprenticeship-based programme to get a BTEC. And that was the start, really, for me. So I started age 17, and, and it took two years to qualify for the programme. And um, I then spent the next couple of years really deep diving into particular areas of interest for me, which were around respiratory, particularly helping patients learn how to use their inhalers correctly because it could make such a difference to their lives and I really enjoyed that aspect of the learning and development the sharing what I knew with others and helping people and helping those patients and then just had my birthday I think it was at age 22 I came across to Royal Surrey that was my first leadership position to uh, co-manage the dispensary so the main 
sort of hub of the, of the pharmacy where all the prescriptions come in and they're all dispensed and checked and all the clinical checking's done. And I can remember an interview being asked, uh, you know, what leadership experience do you have? You know, have you ever managed before? And I knew that I'd obviously supported teams in my previous role, but actually the main thing I knew was that I ran a brownie pack and I had done it for a very long time. I knew how to manage situations, how to, you know, hold a team together to look after sort of 30 odd children at a time and, and provide a really robust program each term as well. And so on that basis, I was taken on and given that opportunity. And I'm so grateful for that. I think, you know, someone believed in me to take on that position and to get started and and that was such a platform for me to build on and so I had a really strong ethic within my head of where I wanted to go I knew the direction I wanted to travel in and sort of set myself goals for every two to three years of what I wanted to achieve surpassed those and sort of within the next two years was working regionally on secondment managing whole education programs across um, the southeast coast of England for pharmacy for certain programs and that gave me an opportunity to really travel the southeast coast of England doing that and again that was a huge privilege you know sometimes you really just have to throw yourself in there to say I'm not sure I can do this but I'm going to put both feet first and just go for it and I did that and then came back uh, full-time to Royal Surrey because I wanted to look at developing a blended learning program for the pharmacy technician qualification and we became the pilot hospital in, in the country to do that um, and won an award for it, a STEM award for it. And it then became, after tendering, the programme that was used across the whole of the southeast of England for those technicians to train. And I'm hugely proud of that for having the vision and the courage to go forth with it, but for the incredible team that I worked with and the incredible college that put that together to do that. And I think at that point, it then became quite clear that I was really trying to expand everything I could do. And it got to the point where I felt in the space where I loved the people that I work with, but I got to the point where I wanted to have an impact on a wider scale. And so I started doing some OD work across the organisation and learning more in that space. And then an opportunity came up three years ago, which I applied for and got the position it's incredibly rewarding I absolutely love the role that I do and for me it's the people around me and the people that I get to work with that make it that for me so hopefully that in a snapshot gives you a little bit about yeah. where I started and where I came from so I said I've been out of official clinical role per se for three years but obviously in the last 10 years before that I wasn't really patient facing I was all very education focused so although I've worked in a clinical setting um, as in a department, I wasn't actually with patients anymore. So it was a sort of slower transition across. Honestly, we've known each other for so long and I knew some of your history, but not all of it. And that's been really interesting for me to, to hear that journey. But also from what you said is that quite early on, even though you had a clinical role, you very much had a, le- a, a desire to help people learn and grow and develop so that's just fascinating oh I don't know where to go next (laughs) so I guess I guess we have to go to three years ago and I'm guessing that that coincided with that little thing that we've talked about across the world the pandemic Mm -hmm. so I'm guessing it tied in exactly with that which must have just been a baptism of fire 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I look back at that now and I think, wow. Um, I, and I'm happy to share on here, I was actually shielding throughout the pandemic. So I actually started this new role while shielding. So I had to learn to start working with a team remotely and incredibly grateful that that was an opportunity that I could do, but also for the team that worked with me to do that as well. And yeah, I mean, obviously things are very different. You know, we still very much see what's going on now and and working with that but I mean I talk a lot about the evolve reality of where we are and I talk a lot about I don't know if you remember those little yellow stretchy men you can get oh yes you know when I work with teams I talk about teams being like yellow stretchy men or women in the sense of that throughout that time we were all pulled and stretched in different ways some of those felt quite comfortable because suddenly we recognized things that we didn't know we were capable of um, and other stretches were fun. They were an opportunity to learn something new in a really quick and reactive environment. And some of those other stretches felt uncomfortable or not so sure about. But actually, when we look back on those now, we still recognise what we could do and, and what we can continue to take forward. So if you ever see me in, in the hospital, you'll probably see I've got a yellow stretchy man probably on my person at some point because I carry it around as a prop when I'm when I'm talking to teams. I will love that. I will. Whenever I see them in the future, I will think of you. Thank you. I think that's really interesting. And I don't know if the same happened in the NHS. I love that we're having this conversation because I actually I can really see the parallels between universities and, and, and the NHS in as much as the consultants are the revered people within the NHS and the organisation almost feels like it works around them. And, and it's the same in universities. But we're also dealing with large and complex organisations. And one of the things that I really noticed during the pandemic is that actually, as a sector, we can often be classed as quite slow moving. Everything takes forever. You go through lots of project boards and approvals. But actually, during the pandemic, all of that got put to one side. And suddenly, what may have been silo working before, everybody came together as a team with a clear goal. And they just got on and did it. And I thought it was such special learning. And I really hope that as a sector, we managed to hold on to that. Did you have similar experiences in the NHS? Yeah, I mean, Royal Surrey prides itself on the fact that we call ourselves the Royal Surrey family. And, you know, I co-host our trust induction for new staff every month um, with one of the exec team, which is fantastic. There's three of us that share that role. And that's one of the things we talk about at induction is we are a family and we look out for each other and we work together. And I'm hugely, immensely proud of that. You know, even from working for, at home from you know quite a chunk of that time, you still felt part of something. And Everyone just wanted to do everything we could to support those patients. You know, the patient safety was and always will be paramount. And so, you know, the way people came together and had new ideas and showed initiative and, and the number of staff that would, you know, were moved into different teams and deployed for us in order to cover what needed to be covered and, and just people's heartwarming generosity to do whatever needed to be done was absolutely fantastic. Mm. I think there's definitely been some shifts just the way people come together, like you said, in a crisis, whatever, that people will always come together. And I think that's what's really important for me now in a lot of the work that I do with the teams now is what can we take from that time? What's positive from that time that we can keep doing? What if we learn about ourselves or the health of a team 
that's really important to actually celebrate because I think generally in life we are not great at celebrating the things that go well some of us see that as egotistical or what's the point in sharing but actually I think as teams it's really healthy to celebrate what's working lock that in so that you don't lose it and take that into the future as well and that's something I feel is really really important for us to keep doing and to do more of as well. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I think as teams, we're often trained to look at what isn't working and how do we deal with that? And we forget about all the great things that we've done. And actually, what is the learning that we can take from that that we can then apply to the areas where we're not doing so well? Honestly, there is so much we can talk about. So I'm going to bring it back to what I said at the beginning, which was about the challenges of developing large and diverse teams. You said that you made this transition because you wanted the broader remit so for you what have you learned how can you do that how can you create environments that enable everybody to thrive what's your wisdom that you'd like to share <laughs> oh my God. I'm sat here thinking what is my wisdom in this? <laughs> um, I, think, I think for me leadership is about growth and it's um, about constant development that was one of the things I really wanted to focus on when I took on this role was looking at actually what do we actually provide for our managers and leaders within the organisation for their development and to continuously support them and actually what can we do differently and I'm hugely proud of my team and everyone that's worked with us to really build up that portfolio in the last three years. What I really recognise is that I think sometimes out there just generally We'll get inquiries going, I need to go on a leadership course, what do you have? And it's not about a course or a programme or a webinar. It's about what you individually need to learn in order to be able to, you know, really effectively manage or lead. And so that's something I really want to continue to build is that this is a continuous journey. And the more we can get into rich conversations and we can look at ourselves and always sort of hold a mirror up to ourselves and reflect on what do I need for me in order to be my best to support and work with those teams that's the difference and so I think that's what's really important and that's the culture that we're creating is actually it's continuous development how can people get involved in conversations action learning sets coaching mentoring groups together that allow them to learn from and with each other regularly and recognize that each person will have their own development needs in terms of that and I think as we start to do that that's where we start to build up effective teams because we start to have some real conversations about what is it to be an effective leader what are the skills what are the traits one of my favorite questions that we ask a lot and are asked a lot in leadership academy programs is what's it like to be on the receiving end of you mm. you know as a leader you need to take responsibility for that so what is it like to be on the receiving end what does that mean for other people and I think if you don't understand that for yourself and recognize that and recognize how that really can shift behaviors you know that for me is the starting point fantastic I love that what is it like to be on the receiving end of you I love that and I love this idea that for you it isn't a two-week program it isn't a, like a, a sheep dip dying you go in you have your dip die and you come out the other end and you're this amazing leader actually it's a continual growth so how has that been received within the trust that idea and that culture that you're trying to create I think one of the things that we're super proud of is that particularly when the pandemic started one of the first things we did was start running virtual manager support pods which are still going now 
and these are monthly support pods and they have different focuses so like each month will be like how to engage your team how to hold courageous conversations um how to plan team objectives but the idea is anybody can come to those online manager pods learn something but also then provide a real chunk of space to just have a conversation and say I've got this going on at the moment I'd really like to talk it through and what people have said in terms of those that have come along is I realize I'm not on my own I realize I'm not the only one just going through this and actually just being with other people that say they find it tough sometimes and sharing with each other what tips they've got is wonderful mm. and the, the pods almost run themselves in that sense and that's really wonderful to see that so that's been really important for us as a real starting point and then what we've done is we've developed a management and leadership development pathway so we've looked at all the different offerings that we have in our organization and also available through the nhs leadership academy and created a visual representation so that people can start to recognize like you said they can it's pick a mix you choose what it is that you need for you right now to support your development Mm. Um, and that's been received really well and then last year one of my visions when I started the role was I wanted to have a date in the diary every year that people would be like I need to keep that free in my diary because I want to come to that so last November we held our first management and leadership development day and we started the day with five leadership stories and rather than have like a famous person come in and talk about their amazing leadership experience we wanted to be real and so we asked five different people across the organization to share their top tips that they would learned so far in their journey and they were allowed a maximum of five minutes and one powerpoint slide to do that and everyone said how inspirational that was because people could relate to the different people whether they were clinical non-clinical senior junior leadership And then we had a series of masterclasses all day on loads of different topics that people could dip in and out of and a huge interactive space um, with loads of stands around our staff networks and our offerings. And then we had a gratitude tree and we asked people to, if they had a leader who had inspired them or supported them, to say thank you to that leader and place that thank you on the tree. And after the day, we hand delivered 77 thank you tags out across the organisation, which was wonderful. So we've got our new leadership day planned for October this year. We've already had 80 staff book on already, which is fantastic. We had staff trying to book on before it was even live bookings. So it's fantastic. People are clearly recognising that they would love this space, that they value this space, and that we're investing in staff. Because ultimately, if we invest in our staff, then the turnaround and the patient care and how we treat each other as well will be even better so for me if I can do all I can to help our staff then that can only be a good thing everything mm. oh my goodness the trust are lucky to have you so I did chuckle when you said you had your interview when you were 22 and what leadership experience yeah. did you have and you managed the brownie pack oh my goodness having had two girls that went to brownies and I used to drop them off and run quick because actually <laughs> oh my goodness I wouldn't want to manage them actually I think that that is beautiful and just out of interest how many people work across the trust so we're about we're just shy of 5,000 so I think we're about 4,700 okay Obviously, it changes as we get new people in each month. Okay. So what I'm taking from what you've said so far is that for you, in order to help people grow and continue to grow and develop, almost what you're doing is creating the space 
and the support and the environment for them to share without saying this is what you need to do absolutely because I, I think everyone's journey is different and um I'll be honest and I speak from my own experience with a clinical background that particularly when you're focused on your career all of your learning and development is focused on that clinical aspect how can I be the best that I can be within that role of whatever it is and therefore a lot of those degree, master programs, et cetera, apprenticeships that focus on the clinical aspects don't integrate leadership into it. So people can come into what we would call band six or seven positions. That's in terms of the grading of how people move up the ranks and into leadership without ever having been studied leadership, having been taught anything. It can really throw a lot of people. People can, you know, lots of self-doubt, lots of imposter syndrome starts to show up. And we've seen in the past where people almost start considering leaving or changing what they're doing because they think they're failing in the role but they're not it's just they've never been able to give that energy to the other side of it and so that's for me what which is really important if we can provide those spaces and those platforms for those conversations for people to come together then that's really really important and to recognize you don't need to know everything mm. it's okay to ask for help I think so many people again in my own experience and I say this because I do a lot of coaching and exec coaching for the NHS Leadership Academy as well. So in my experience of all my years of coaching, lots of people feel that they have to have all the answers, that they need to be able to lead that way all the time and know absolutely everything that's happening and where everything's going to go. And they see asking for help as a sign of weakness. And it's absolutely not. For me, asking for help is a sign of a good leader. And asking for feedback, I think, makes you an even better leader. Whether you want to have that feedback or not, I think you need to ask for it. You need to have that self-awareness. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So you've talked about the need to be able to ask for help, to be able to ask for feedback and, and take that on board. Is there anything else that for you, if you were to have your top three, what would be your third aspect? I think there's that aspect of understanding self, you know, like for me as a leader, understanding me is my biggest tool. If I don't have that self-awareness or that ability to truly understand where my behaviours are being driven from, then I don't think that makes me an effective leader. I'm, there's likely to be shortcomings then in terms of teams that I work with as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, so much good stuff. And I know that we could carry on talking. For hours, we could probably have a whole podcast series <laughs> and still never cover it at all. But I'm going to move on now. When have you personally had to dive deep and what impact did that have? Um, I talk openly about this, as you know, Mel, but for me, I've had a real journey with self-worth to really truly understand who I am and really reconnect with my confidence and my self-belief. And that for me was the real deep dive. I'm a huge Brené Brown fan. I wouldn't say a stalker, but I do really, really love her work. And I mean, first reading her The Gifts of Imperfection book, I know there's always that cliche, oh, but book changed my life. But seriously, it was so impactful for me. It was like reading about myself. There are various UK trained facilitators who have done the training to actually deliver Brené's work here. And I enrolled on both of her programmes over a couple of years and completed that work. And that was real soul searching, deep dive, you know, going away, really intense programs for three days at a time. 
but I learned so much about myself and who I was and what I wanted and where I wanted to go and I I still lean into that now you know Brené's done a lot of work around leadership now and it's being recognized a lot more and I think that's fantastic and what I love is that the more people I speak to within the NHS go oh yeah I've heard of her and that's wonderful because I think you know leadership has changed um you know Professor Michael West who does a lot of work with the King's Fund he brought out his compassionate leadership book was it November probably a year before last now and I think that's the space we've really leaned more into now in the NHS the culture has changed leadership has changed so for me that deep dive has brought me so much personally and professionally as well and if I can help other people to be more honest with themselves as well then I think that's only a good thing yeah um one of the things we have a women into leadership network that I co-chair and one of the subgroups of that is what we call courage club and the women are invited to come along and each time we'll want to focus on a different topic but it's a really safe space where they can open up be who they are talk about what might be going on for them and where they'd like things to be different and I love seeing how they help each other rise they champion each other and encourage each other in that space so they're deep diving for themselves now too brilliant I mean who doesn't love Brené I love 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 her work so for you if anyone hasn't heard of her you would recommend the gifts of imperfection as the first Absolutely, definitely and I would recommend they watch her TEDx talk because it's just 18 minutes of pure joy so many hard-hitting messages but delivered in such a beautiful and fun way because that's what you get with Brené isn't it is that that dose of of fun but underneath that, there's a real hard work going on. She's so real, isn't she? But she just delivers it so beautifully and so relatable as well. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's really important is, is that ability to be able to relate to it and think, actually, I can do this too. Yeah. It's not something you think is completely out of reach. Absolutely. And she's always really good at if she's talking to somebody and they're giving her some advice about really opening up about how she is and what her imperfections are and where she's got to deep dive. Amazing lady, thoroughly recommend that people look her up if they haven't done already. And I love that. I love the Courage Club. I mean, that's amazing. That must be so worthwhile. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's still very new. We've only run about three so far, but it's been a really great space to just learn new things and give people, you know, new tools and techniques to try out. And again, just that space of, you know, when people say, I'm so glad I came today, it's really nice and I'm not on my own thinking about this. Or I'm going to go and try this really tiny thing. You know, and I love that. We we talked about something called Meraki a couple of months ago, which is this Greek concept of putting your whole heart and soul into whatever you do. And, you know, how many of us just work through a lunch break or feel that need that we need to clear every email before we go home or feel that if we step away from our desk or whatever, wherever we're working for a minute, actually that means we're not working hard enough and it's incredible these made-up expectations and rules that we have about ourselves and if I can provide that space where those ladies can chat to each other and recognize that's not the case then you know that's that's great because then they can go and share that with others I'm a huge fan of that saying that says when a butterfly flutters its wings in one part of the world it can cause a hurricane in another yeah you know and it takes that small small step to make a difference yeah love it love it so when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree 
<laughs> all the time. <laughs> They're just hanging on to the tree. You know, no two days are ever the same in the NHS, ever, and let alone our whole lives, I think. And I think one of the things I've learned is that nothing stays still for long. You know, we're really responsive and reactive to different things that happen all the time. And like I said earlier, we don't need to know everything all of the time. So there's something about, I suppose, when I'm holding on to that tree, perhaps as a fish, is looking around me to see who else can I work with on that. Um, that we don't have to do things in isolation. And I love, you know, I get to work with some fantastic people across our whole, what we call integrated care system across the whole of Surrey. And, you know, great minds work together. You know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel by ourselves. So I think asking for help, reaching out, having a mentor as well, I think is really important. And that helps you get through. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. I love that. You're not on your tree alone. Brilliant. I knew this was going to be a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving up your time. If people want to learn more, connect with you, reach out, find out more about the work that you're doing at the Trust, how can they do that? Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn. So people are very welcome to find me on LinkedIn. I'm just Nicola Arnold on, on LinkedIn. So very welcome to do that. Really happy to have conversations. I think, you know, there is so much great work going on out there, whether it's NHS, not NHS, and the more we can do together, I think the better, really. So really happy for people to reach out. I'm on Twitter as well, if people want to have a look. Okay. Um, I know you're going to share the links to that. But yeah, I'd love to hear from people. I'd love to know whether some of the things I've shared have had impact for you, or maybe there's things that you could teach me that I'm not aware of, you know, in that continuous learning space as well. So yeah. Brilliant. I'm sure people will reach out. So it just leaves me to say a massive thank you, but also a massive, massive thank you to your colleagues and everything they did during the pandemic. It doesn't feel right to have somebody on from the NHS and not extend that thanks to all of those people that worked so tirelessly and did such an amazing job. So thank them on my behalf and all the listeners' behalf. So what final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? Um, if I may, I'm going to be cheeky and have two things. <laughs> why not? Absolutely fine. Firstly, I want to say it's the teamwork. And, and thank you for the thank you. But I, when I talk about I today, I do mean collectively as a team and all the teams that, you know, we all work together. Mm. And whoever it is, you know, none of us work in isolation. We're all creating and uh, achieving things together. So that's really important to share. I suppose the other thing is that is to go out there, be a positive disruptor, dare to lead, dare to do things. And I don't know who said it, but I love the phrase, your mind is like a parachute. And if it's not open, it won't work. I love that as a space of, you know, where are you creating space right now to look and try and do new things and have the confidence and belief that you can do that? Because if you start from the place of I can't do this or we can't achieve that, you've got nowhere to go. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive Deep, Climb High, can do leadership in a world of can't.